0: today we are in Acts chapter 17 verses 1 through 9. Let's pray and then we'll get into this. Father we love you. We thank you God for your word. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you today that as we celebrate communion and celebrate with those who are getting baptized, God we ask that you would just move and work in our lives and in this place through the study of your word today in Jesus name. Amen. Well, we've made it as far as Acts chapter 17 in our study through the book of Acts. And there's a pattern that we have been seeing as we have been watching Paul on his uh, missionary journeys. And we've seen that wherever Paul goes, things happen cities are shaken, the gospel gets preached, people get saved, but at the same time, the enemies of the gospel and the enemies of Jesus, they get riled up. And so they seek to come against the work of God. And we've seen riots happen. We've seen Paul get beaten and in prison. But at the same time, we've seen lives in all of these cities are being transformed. So much so that by the time we get to Acts chapter 17, we're told here, this is the reputation of Paul and his crew that they have. We see it in verse 6 of our text. It says that these are the ones, these guys who have come to our town, are the ones who are turning the world upside down. Isn't that a great description of the work and the message and the power of the gospel? To turn the world upside down. Wouldn't it be cool if that's what was the reputation of Of believers and followers of Jesus Christ here in Vista and here in North County that wherever we went that people would say those are the ones who are turning the world upside down or turning Vista turning North County San Diego upside down wouldn't it be awesome if that's what was being said about you and I as individuals that when we go to work, that our impact would be such that people in our work would say, hey, that's, that's a guy that's making a difference. That's a guy that's making an impact. Well, today we're going to see that Paul comes to the city of Thessalonica, and once again, this pattern emerges, but this is what I want you to note today. This is kind of our big idea today, is that Paul was given a commission by the Lord, and he developed some customs and patterns for carrying out that mission that resulted in the world being turned upside down. And here's the second thing that we're going to touch on today, is the fact that Jesus, Jesus has also given us commissions as his followers, and we need to be developing patterns and customs in our lives that as we do, it will result in blessings happening in and through our lives. So today we see Paul come to the city of Thessalonica, follow along as I read in verse 1. It says, now when they had passed through Amphilopolis and Apollonia, that they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ." Now notice that phrase again in verse 2 that says and then Paul as his custom was. This is what we see about the apostle Paul is Paul had a custom that was attached to his commission. Now, Paul was given this commission by Jesus. And Paul shares what that commission was when he's sharing his testimony in Acts chapter 26. You don't need to turn there, but he's talking there to King Agrippa. And Paul is talking about how he used to be against Jesus and against the church and against this move of of God and these Christians that he thought it was false. And he sought to come and just, you know, put an end to it. And that all changed one day when he met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus and it was at that point that Paul realized that the gospel was true that Jesus truly was alive that he was risen from the dead which meant that he was the Messiah that they had been looking for and so when Paul was sharing with King Agrippa he told the king of the commission that Jesus gave him and we see there I'll read to you from Acts 26 verse 16 he said and Jesus said to me but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So pause there. Paul was commissioned by Jesus to bring the gospel message to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And his purpose was to help turn people from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they would receive forgiveness of their sins and eternal life in Jesus Christ and that's what the believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ does It takes a person who was walking in darkness and allows them to now begin to walk in the light in relationship with God. It takes those who were under the power of Satan, who are now under the power of God. And it takes those who were destined for eternal death to now they're destined to eternal life. And so this was Paul's commission. This is what Jesus gave him to go and share. And Paul continues there in verse 22 of Acts 26. Therefore having obtained help from God to this day, I stand witnessing both to small and great saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. So everything he says, I'm preaching. It's what the prophets prophesied of that the Christ note that phrase, the Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So this was the commission that, that Paul was given to take the gospel message to the Jews and the Gentiles. And we see here in verse 1 that in order to fulfill that commission, Paul develops a custom. And Paul comes to Thessalonica, and we've seen this already. He's done this in several cities, that he comes into a city, and the first place he goes is to the synagogue, because that's where the Jews were. And he always would start with the Jews. That was his custom. For you see, Paul, being a former rabbi and a former Pharisee, had an open door into the synagogues, because this is what they did in the Jewish world. When a traveling rabbi would come into town, and he would come into the synagogue, they would always ask him, hey, do you have anything to share with us? So that was Paul's open door. And he would take advantage of that. And so he'd go into the synagogue and he would share with them. And we're told here that he shared for three consecutive Sabbaths. And I want you to notice his message beginning there at the end of verse two, he said that I sought to reason with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. So this was Paul's custom. In order to fulfill his commission, he would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he would begin to reason with them from the scriptures. The word reason means to dialogue in having a conversation. And his reasoning, make note of it, was comprised of two components. It was involved explaining and demonstrating from the scriptures. Or in other words, Paul was opening up the scriptures and he was showing them things and explaining what they meant he was showing them things about the messiah and explaining what they meant and the focal point of paul's explaining and demonstrating centers around what he says there in verse three notice this that the christ now you might want to write in your bible that phrase the christ was what the jewish people spoke of and and when they spoke of the christ they were talking about the messiah They weren't talking about Jesus. They were talking about, at least the the unsaved Jewish people, they were talking about who they thought the Messiah, that when the Messiah would come, they called the Messiah the Christ. So this is what Paul was saying. He demonstrated and explained that the Christ must suffer. And this was something that the Jewish people completely missed in their studying of the Old Testament. In fact, most Jewish people today miss this point as well. that the, the, the fact that the Old Testament scriptures spoke of a Messiah who would come that would suffer. You see, the Jewish people love the Old Testament passages that talk about a Messiah who's going to come and conquer, Uh, the the Messiah who's going to come and set up a kingdom. In fact, um, years ago when we were in Israel and we were doing a tour and we came to the Valley of Megiddo, and so we're overlooking this vast valley where the, the Battle of Armageddon takes place that we read about in the book of Revelation. And so I'm explaining there that when Jesus comes back at his second coming, that he's going to conquer the forces of the Antichrist and all those who would come against Israel. And there's going to be a great battle here. And they're going to be completely wiped out. And our Jewish guide, who was not a Christian, he was this old guy named Yoshi. He came up to me afterwards and he was like, that was awesome. (laughs) Because that's what they're waiting for. Now, to him, it wasn't Jesus, but it was when their Messiah comes, he's gonna, you know, demolish the enemy. That's what they're praying about even to this very day. But the thing that they failed to understand, they failed then, they, they, they failed to understand today, is that the Old Testament scripture spoke of two comings of the Messiah. That the first coming, that he was gonna come as a lamb. He was going to come to suffer, that he was going to come to give himself a sacrifice by dying on the cross to pay the price for the sins of humanity. And then at his second coming, he will come as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the conquering one. So, Paul is reasoning with them and explaining and demonstrating, taking them to all those Old Testament passages that they missed that spoke of how the Messiah was going to suffer, that he would be killed, but three days later he would rise again from the dead. And this was the focal point of Paul's preaching. Notice the End of verse 3 That this Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. He's the Messiah that we have been waiting for. So, to fulfill his commission, Paul developed this custom. To go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and preach Jesus. To preach that Jesus is the suffering Messiah who would die and rise again from the dead. So that is, the, so far the result of that, that we've seen in every city so far that Paul has gone to, has been the same. And we see it again here in Thessalonica as well. Look at verse 4. It says, and some of them, that would be the Jews, were persuaded... That means that they believed. And a great multitude of the devout Greeks, now this would be Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. So some of the Jews and a great multitude of the Gentiles who had converted to Judaism also believed and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. So this is what we see. That Jews and Gentiles were getting saved. Now what's interesting is that Paul was only in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. And three Sabbaths, that would be three weeks. So he was only there three weeks, but God did a tremendous work in that city in such a short time. And Paul describes it in his letter to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses five through nine. Let me read this to you. This is his description. He says, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, But also in power and in the Holy Spirit and and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. The much affliction was speaking of the the persecution that the early church was going through. And he says this, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, So this church in Thessalonica, God did such a work there. They became examples to all the believers in the region. And then he said this, verse 8, For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. So it's spread from them and your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves declare concerning us that manner of entry we had with you and how, catch this last phrase, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Now that phrase right there is an indication, it's speaking of a broader impact of the gospel message that it wasn't just the Jews or the Gentiles who had converted to Judaism, but it went out from there and started impacting the other gentiles who were involved in idolatry and so he says you turn from your idolatry to serve the living god and then he says in verse 10 and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead even jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come so that was the result of Paul following his commission to take the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles there in Thessalonica. And we see that there was a lot of Jews and Gentiles that became radically saved in Thessalonica. The city was being stirred up by the gospel, but then we see what happens next in verse 5. But the Jews who were not persuaded, those who didn't believe, became envious and took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason who and sought to bring them out to the people. So this riot emerges. They go to the house of this guy named Jason, where Paul and Silas are are staying, and they're looking for them to bring them out. But verse 6 says, But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city. And when they heard these things, so when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now I want you to notice that phrase again there in verse 7, that they were declaring that there is another king, Jesus. This was a huge issue in the Roman world. Because you see, in the Roman world, they practiced what was known as emperor worship. That's why everywhere they would go, they would say, they would kind of greet one another by saying, Caesar is Lord. Almost like the the Nazis would do when they would say Hal Hitler. It was that kind of an idea amongst the Romans that they would say, Caesar is Lord. But the Christians wouldn't say that. Because the Christians, it wasn't that they were seeking to defy Rome, but they just knew in their heart, Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord, so we're not going to say that Jesus is the Lord. And what's interesting is when we read in Revelation chapter 19, where it describes when Jesus comes back at his second coming, he's coming back in his power and his glory, and it says that written on his thigh is this saying, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you see, the reality today is there is really only true, one true king in this world. And his name is, can I hear it, church? It's Jesus. He's the only one true king. But get this, listen closely. Before Jesus comes to reign on planet Earth... He wants to reign in your heart. He wants to be your king. Today we're going to see, we have, I think it's 35 people between the two services that are going to get baptized today. And uh, those who are getting baptized, most of them are second service, but those who are getting baptized today are going to be declaring, Jesus is my king. I'm going on record today to see Jesus has transformed my life, that Jesus has touched my life, that Jesus is my king. But that's the question we all need to answer today. Who's the king of your life? Well, the answer to that is who and what are you living for? For a lot of people today, they're living for self. Self is their king. But the problem with living for self is self is never satisfied. How many of you have realized that? Others are living today for money. Money is their king, but the problem is, is you can never get enough. Others are living for pleasure, but the problem with living for pleasure is it never lasts. You have a great time, you have a great experience, but then it fades. But Jesus is the only one. He's the only king who brings lasting satisfaction Jesus is the king who is more than enough for every situation that we find ourselves in. It was Jesus, King Jesus, who declared the devil comes. He's a thief and a robber who comes to kill, to rob, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life, and that more abundantly. That's what he promises. Eternal life a quality of life that you experience right now in walking with him and living with him that results in a longevity of life of living and being forever with the Lord. Now, Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 2 said this about Jesus. He said, therefore, God also highly exalted him and has given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the father. Paul says, look, one day, every person who has ever lived is going to declare, they're going to bow down and say that Jesus is Lord. And here's the deal. Listen to me, church. You can bow now, by giving your heart to Jesus, making Jesus your king. You can bow now, or you can say, "Ah, I'm not ready to do that, and you can wait till later, but later will be too late. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. So Paul was given a commission from Jesus, and we see that he developed this custom that helped him fulfill his commission that resulted in the world's that Paul was ministering to being turned upside down. Well, here's the thing that we need to see and understand, that King Jesus has also given commissions to us as well. And we need to develop customs that will help us carry out the commissions that Jesus has given to us. And in the remainder of our time today, I want to consider a few of those. The first is the commission that the Lord has given us to come to him. We read in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18, the Lord says, come now, let us reason together. The word there means come, let us consider this together. Or let's consider your options, says the Lord. And then he says this, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So we have this commission from Jesus to come, to come to him, to consider your options, to consider that if if you don't know Jesus Christ today, the Bible says that your sin separates you from God. That you are living in a place of being separated from the God who loves you and created you. And if you die in that state, you experience what the Bible describes as eternal death. But there's another option, you see. Jesus left heaven, came to this earth so that he could go to a cross and pay the price for our sins that separated us from God. And he didn't just die on a cross. Three days later, he rose again from the dead so that anybody who would put their faith in him, he would give them life. His resurrection from the dead proved that he was king over death and king over Satan and king over sin. And he offers that life to anyone who embraces him. And so when we open our hearts to Jesus, he says, your sins, which were red like scarlet, become as white as snow. They're forgiven and they're forgotten. We're we're, we're, we're talking about total transformation and cleansing. And that's the invitation that Jesus gives to you today if you don't know him. But here's what's amazing. And this is what I really want you to catch is after you come to Jesus the first time for your salvation... The door to God remains open to you to keep on coming. That's what's awesome. That's what's amazing is Jesus, he's opened that door into the very throne room of God so that we're told in Hebrews chapter four, verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So here's what he says. You don't just come to me to get saved. You keep coming to me. It's daily coming to me. It's it's coming to me when you need mercy. Or we could put it this way. When you need forgiveness for daily failures. How many of you fail every day? I know I do. Man, there's days where my flesh can just get the best of me and I say something that I didn't mean or I get, you know, upset and and it's so, so frustrating. I need forgiveness. And listen to me. Some of you really need to hear this. When you sin, you don't need to get saved again, okay? Okay. If you're already saved, you've already given your life. When you get saved, when you, when you sin after you've been saved, you don't need to get saved again. And some of you need to hear this because every time we give a, an altar call, you respond. And I'm like, bro, you, you're saved, all right? <laughs> Come on, you know? You don't need to get saved again. What you need is forgiveness. And the great thing is, is in Jesus, he offers that to us. We're told in 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does it mean to confess our sins? It means to own it. It means to say the same as. It means I'm saying, I'm confessing, I'm owning the fact, Lord, I blew it. That was wrong. I need your forgiveness. And he says, when we do that, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed us from our sin when we first got saved continues to cleanse us from our daily sins. So we come to him. For daily forgiveness for daily failures, but we also come to Him for daily grace for our daily needs. So you don't just come to the Lord for daily forgiveness for daily failure, but we come to Him for daily strength for our daily needs. You know, the Bible talks about when it talks about trials, it uses this phrase, our manifold trials. That word manifold means many colors. And our trials, don't they? They come in many shapes and sizes and many different colors, don't they? Many different colors. Well, the Bible also talks about the manifold grace of God. And I love that because it's like, okay, there's, there's many colors of trials and there's many colors of grace to fit the trial that you're going through. And Jesus says to us to come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might find grace, that we might find strength from him in our time of need. So daily forgiveness for daily failures, daily strength for daily needs. And he also commissions us to come to him to receive daily comfort for daily discouragement. in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That beautiful? Daily comfort, for daily discouragement jesus says come to me he doesn't say hey you go do all these things he says no come to me so we have this commission from the lord to come to him but here's the question what practices are in your life for you to experience and take advantage of coming to the lord so that you can receive daily forgiveness for daily failures and daily strength for daily needs and daily uh, comfort for daily discouragement. What, what, What customs have you established in your life to experience that? Listen, if you develop the custom, the practice of starting your day off by seeking the Lord in prayer and spending time with him in the word, you'll be setting yourself up to receive mercy and grace and comfort in your time of need. But if you your custom that you've established isn't that of starting your day with Jesus, and maybe your approaching of Jesus coming to him is more sporadic and haphazard, you're going to be inclined to lean on your own strength in times of need. You're going to be inclined to lean on your own understanding. You're going to be inclined to seek comfort from somewhere else. And you are going to be prone to fall under condemnation when you don't get it right. And if you're like me, you don't get it right a lot. But if your custom is to seek first the kingdom of God, like Jesus said, and his righteousness so you're seeking him you're coming to him this is what he promises and all these things will be added to you what you need for that day i'm going to supply it so you start your day with him you look ahead you look at your day and you you look and you say okay i have this meeting that's going to be a hard one lord i'm going to need your grace there oh i have that coming up today i'm going to need your strength there You start your day with the Lord like that. And and you're bringing your day before him and you're getting into the word. And then you end your day by spending time with him. And you look back on your day and go, oh, Lord, I failed there big time. I need your uh, forgiveness. And when you do that, you're setting yourself up to receive grace and strength for daily needs and forgiveness for daily failure and comfort for daily discouragements and so we have this commission to come to jesus and get this everything else flows from this commission everything flows from this coming to him drawing near to him developing a life of intimacy with jesus because this is what i know to be true the more time that you spend with jesus this is what happens you fall in love with him and when you fall in love with king jesus you want to engage in what king jesus is doing in the world and so we have this commission, that the commission to go. We're told in Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have this commission to go. To be engaged in Jesus's kingdom and Jesus's mission in the world. What are we supposed to do? We're to go out and make disciples. Where are we to go? Everywhere. Go into all the world. Now we like to think of, okay, I'm going to go on that mission trip, you know, to the Philippines next year. No, 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 no. It starts with going to Vista, to Oceanside, to San Marcos. It starts with going across the street. It's going into your neighborhood and your workplace and your school. That's where, where it starts. It's going into your family. So that's the commission that we have from Jesus. So I ask you this question. What customs and practices are you establishing to help you carry out that commission? Well, What can we learn from the Apostle Paul? I want you to notice that Paul's customs were based on his gifts and his open doors of opportunity. Note that. Paul's gift was, he was brilliant. He was really, really smart, really, really trained. He knew the scriptures, and his open door, as I said, was to go into the synagogue. And that gave him this opportunity to talk with people about Jesus. Can I encourage you to look for opportunities? You know, back in the days when I was a youth pastor... Because I came from a real athletic background. That was before the two hip replacements and and all of that. So I, I actually had some athletic ability back in the day. And so I started FCA groups. And uh, we actually had the largest FCA fellowship of Christian athletes group uh, at Rancho Buena Vista High School in all of San Diego County. God just did an amazing thing there. Well, it was that athletic background that opened up that door for me to do that. Well, today, I'm not an athlete anymore. And uh, so one of the things I do to look for open doors, this is one of the things I do a lot when I go to restaurants. And, you know, I try to frequent the same restaurant when I'm having lunch with somebody. And when the food comes, I'll ask the waitress or waiter. I'll say, hey, we're going to pray. We're Christians. We're going to pray for our food right now. Is there anything we can pray for you for? And you'd be surprised how many times that opens a door. Especially when I come back next week and go, hey, I've been praying for that thing you asked me to pray about. And how's it going? And they're blown away that I remembered. Little things. Little things like that. Can I encourage you? Look for opportunities. Maybe you're a mom. And so your, your calling right now is your kids. But your opportunity is other moms. And other moms love to get together for, you know, mommy and me, play times. And I want to encourage you gals, don't just look to do that with Christian sisters. Or invite some unchristian moms to come and join you. And as they're in that moment of like, my kids are driving me crazy. How do you do it that you can say, well, they drive me crazy too. But Jesus, (laughs) Jesus is the one helping me. Maybe it's your work, your place of working. God has gifted you that you're just really, really good in your work. Can I encourage you? Look for opportunities to help somebody else in your company. That's kind of an abnormal thing in our world today, right? People are like, I'm going to get mine. I'm not worried about you. But suddenly you're looking for ways to help somebody else that you're working with. And that speaks to them. So it's looking for opportunities to engage in the kingdom work of Jesus. And here's another thing. When we love King Jesus, we want to invest in what he's doing. Here's another commission that we have from the Lord. It's the commission to give. We're told in Leviticus 27, verse 30, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. Now, some of you are thinking, isn't tithing, because that's what the tenth is, the tenth means tithe. Isn't isn't that an Old Testament thing? Isn't that a law thing? Well, in actuality, tithing predates the law. We see it in Genesis chapter 14 when Melchizedek, Abraham, meets with this kingly priest, Melchizedek, and it says he gave him a tenth of the spoil, and the Lord commends him for doing that. And this Melchizedek, this kingly priest, is a picture of Jesus. So we see tithing before the law. We see it in the law. And then we see in the Gospels, Jesus actually commends the commission of tithing. And here's what's really, really interesting about this. There's only one place in the entire Bible where God instructs us, challenges us really to test him. And it has to do with this idea of the giving of our tithes and offerings. It's seen in Malachi chapter three, God asks this question, will a man rob God? He says, yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have we robbed you? And he says, in the tithes and offerings. So this is what God was saying to the people of Israel. That in their failure to bring their tithes and offerings, that it was seen as robbing God. In other words, he was saying, you're taking from me what really belongs to me. Because this is the biblical concept of our resources, that everything that we have belongs to God. And this is what God says of us. He goes, I want you to give a tenth, 10% of what I've given to you. Give it back to me. I'm going to let you keep 90 I'm going to let you keep 90% of it so that you can steward it and you can use it. But I'm asking for a tenth. Well, the people, they weren't doing that. So God issues this challenge. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and there they may be, there may be food in my house and try me, test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. So God challenges us to be givers. And what's really, really interesting about this is the Lord also gave not just the commission, but he gave us the custom as well, because God told his people to bring their first fruits to him. In Proverbs chapter three, verse nine says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase. The first fruit speaks of what's first and best instead of the leftovers, And Paul encouraged the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians 16 that they were to do this, bring their first fruits on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. This is why when we talk about tithing as a part of our worship to the Lord, that's where that concept comes from. And the principle is really this. Our God is a giver. And God gave us his first fruits. He gave us his very best. He gave us Jesus. And he's wanting to make us into givers too. In fact, it's been said that, that tithing is not God's way of raising funds, but it's way, his way of raising kids. It's his way of making us more like So we have these commissions. We have the commission to come. We have the commission to go. We have the commission to give. Let me give you one more. We have the commission to love. This is a big one. Jesus said this in John 13. On the night before he went to the cross, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And when I am in love with King Jesus, I naturally want to have the heart of Jesus toward others. So here's the question. What practices can we put into place to help us be more loving? in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we're told this about love, that love is patient and kind. So when I remember that, when I make it my practice, my custom to remember that, I remember this, that all of us here are a work in progress, that none of us have arrived. So I want to give grace and patience and kindness with my brothers and sisters, and I want them to give that to me. We're told in 1 Corinthians 13 that love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things. So that's telling us love doesn't jump to wrong conclusions. Love wants to give the benefit of the doubt, but not just giving the benefit of the doubt where it's like, okay, I don't think they meant to what they really said. You know, that, that messes us up because we still think. So, so in love, in not giving the benefit of doubt, we seek clarity. We come and say, you know, you said this, but I, I, I feel like I know you, and I don't think that's what you really meant. So can you clarify with me what you meant? And if they meant what they said, then you're in trouble. But, uh, <laughs> but most of the time, oh, no, no, I didn't mean that at all. Sorry it came across that way. This is what I really meant. and That's what love does. It, it doesn't jump to wrong conclusions. So I ask you this question as we close. What customs do you need to put in place in your life to fulfill the commission to come, to fulfill the commission to go, to fulfill the commission to give, and fulfill the commission to love? What practices, I want you to be thinking about this, praying about this church. What practices do you need to be developing in your life so that those commissions become A reality, but I want you to note this. It all starts with and flows from the commission to come. It starts with us being with Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus today, He's asking you today, He's saying, Hey, come to me. Let's reason together. Let's consider your options eternal death. If you reject me, eternal life, abundant life if you embrace me.